The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host of Mini Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, happy Valentine's Day. Today we're talking gift-giving for romance, all the boxes of chocolates and dead flies that animals give each other to woo their crush. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question, is cyanide a girl's best friend? Joining me today is economist and professional at being my husband, Brett McCauley. Welcome. Hey, honey. Hi, hi, honey. Thanks for uh, coming all the way upstairs to uh, be on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me all the way upstairs. Um, I felt like a really good Valentine's Day gift to you is to make you perform free labor on my podcast. That's fair. <laughs> Not only is this an episode about, um, you know, valent- romantic gift giving, which is a huge hint to you, by the way, because um, anyways, just pay attention to the lessons and themes in this episode. Uh, but it is, it, you know, you are an economist and this is sort of about the dark side of gift giving, the, the idea that gift giving is not always done just out of the pureness and goodness of your heart, which you know, I guess like if you're very cynical about Valentine's Day, uh, you might feel the same way where people are giving gifts to each other, but you might think it is just sort of all superficial in order to kind of play into some sort of mass market on Valentine's Day. But I don't know, what what is your opinion of gift giving on Valentine's Day? And think extremely carefully before you answer this. Uh, yeah, um, it's it's cool. I, d- I dig it, <laughs> but I, I can also tell you what the economics community thinks of gift giving. Okay, I'm very interested to hear. Well, so there's there's a couple of different views, and 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 really, even you mentioned the dark side of gift giving. It's kind of that is maybe the mainstream view, at least for some. 
Here's a quote from Joel Waldfogel, who wrote about the deadweight loss of Christmas. He says that buying gifts typically destroys value and can only, in the unlikely best special case, be as good as giving cash. Wow. So, actually, my community is telling me to give you cash for Valentine's Day, so I hope you're... You're excited for some cash. No, fat stacks of cash. I'll never say no to fat stacks of cash. You know this well enough. Um, But I think uh, even more than that, I would like fat stacks of dead flies and other detritus. So we are talking about nuptial gifts uh, today, which I feel like is uh, very, you know, again, just pay attention to all the lessons that Mm. are to be learned from this. Okay, uh, like dead flies. Uh, yeah, dead flies. Uh, is that why you allow all the spider webs to remain here? This is a this is unfair. This is a cheap shot because he gets to actually be in my recording studio. Normally, the guests get a very specific view of my recording studio through Zoom, and he gets to see all the spider webs up ahead and dead flies being yeah, collected in them. It's actually really fun though because sometimes I get to see them catch a fly. And it's like free, free entertainment, free theater. So this is my advice to you: do not clean up your spider webs. Keep them there, and then you've got twenty four seven WWE spider wrestling that you can watch. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we are talking about nuptial gifts. So nuptial gifts are given by a variety of insects and arthropods to their mate, uh, generally by a male to the female. Sorry that uh, arthropods are indeed sexist. Um, But the point is to help increase the success of copulation, either by encouraging the female to mate or giving her more patience to sit around while the male does his thing, or so she doesn't attack the male. Lesson number one. Okay, so you're saying you might attack me if I don't give you some No, of course not. Anyways... Uh, There are different types of nuptial gifts that vary by species. So some give dead insects, like I mentioned. Uh, Some even give dead insects wrapped in silk. Gift wrapping, very important, lesson number two. Uh, Some give globs of nutritional saliva, no comment. Some give a spermatophore, which is basically a sperm packet. So inside the sperm packet is sperm, but the envelope is actually edible and nutritional. Oh, come on, hon. I'm not I don't I don't want any comments from you right now. So the male <laughs> attaches the spermatophore to the female's genitals and the female eats the envelope while the sperm is essentially turkey base basted into her genital opening. Um, you know, well, you know, I mean what, the, 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 these are these are insects. They don't they don't have our yeah. sense of, you know, uh, romance this is especially so some insects such as tree crickets directly consume nutritional secretions that the male provides on his oh. back during copulation oh, it, God. what what didn't you like did you not like uh, the word nutritional secretions or was it the word tree crickets no tree crickets is fine but everything else that you just said <laughs> was pretty distasteful is I I mean this way to get us into the mood for th- Valentine's Day. I feel like I think on our first date I started talking to you about parasites, so you knew what you were getting into. You can't. No, that's fair. You can't say I falsely advertised what this was going to be like for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's true. 
by the way to the audience it really is valentine's day like we're, this is this is a she's gonna rush this episode out and then you know so we, we are this is our celebration yeah, he's uh, he, I, I literally dragged him up here Valentine's Day morning and was like, surprise, here's your gift, H- helping me with my podcast. Um, no, I got him an actual gift, but I can't tell you because he's right here. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting some indications that the actual gift is not going to be to my liking. <laughs> so uh, ground crickets. Um, actually get a little bit Twilight vampire with their romance. Wait, have you seen Twilight? Yeah, you know. That doesn't sound like you've actually seen it. I I have, look, I have not seen or read Twilight. I I distinctly remember the scene where Bella was shown her her dad's house and she sulkily says, one bathroom. Oh, wow. So you have because seen she Twilight. Because she has to share it with her, her step, her dad, whatever it is. Right. Um, yeah, no, that, that, that tracks uh, with the theme of the movie, which is that if you date a vampire, you get more bathrooms. Yeah. Um, so these uh, ground crickets uh, get a little bit of a uh, little bit Twilight vampire with their romance because the males will offer some of their blood to consume during mating. Um, isn't that a thing in Twilight where he like get like Bella gets turned into a vampire by like drinking the bodily secretions of Edward? Uh, there you are with bodily secretions. Look, again. I'm a, I'm you know it's a biology podcast, honey. <laughs> We've got to say nutritional secretions at least five times. Okay, that's great. Okay, but in any case. I don't. I did not get that far in Twilight, but that makes sense. By like the third or the fourth book, you just have to like you've, you, the the rest of the romance has run its course, and you just have to do something crazy like turn Bella into a vampire. Right. I think like like I've actually so despite not having watched the movies or read the books, I have read things about Twilight quite a bit because I find it really fascinating, and I think also like they have a baby. Um, but I don't understand, like, if the baby is a vampire, like, I don't really understand vampire biology, like, whether it's, like, genetic or, like, whether you have to, like, it's, if it's, like, some kind of, like, thing where you have to consume the blood of other vampires or they have to, like, bite you, like, did they have to bite their own baby? I I don't really know exactly. But, yeah, the baby, vampires cannot reproduce on their own, they, uh, except by turning another living human into a vampire. They cannot reproduce in the regular human way. You're thinking about Nosferatus. These are sexy vampires, and they live by different rules than the Nosferatu rules. Oh, I see. Because, like, Nosferatus, I'm pretty sure Nosferatus uh, don't, can't reproduce because, like, they're basically, everything's all withered down there. Mm. Um so, they, they have no more secretions. They have on. no more secretions going on, exactly. Anyways, back to actual biology. So uh, nuptial gifts are not always like a sweet gesture, right? Sometimes they are like mutually beneficial to the male and the female. And so like in terms of like arthropods, I guess that's as close to a romantic sweet gesture as you can get. Um, but some nuptial gifts actually decrease the female's overall fitness in exchange for a more successful short-term mating or reproductive success, which would primarily benefit the male who is passing on his DNA, but not the female in terms of her lifetime reproduction. 
Um, these are called Medea gifts after the Greek myth of Medea. So Medea was the wife to Jason, uh, who had uh, so Jason decides to abandon Medea for a new wife who is like the daughter of a king. And uh, so Medea sends poison gifts to the new wife, which is apparently a dress and a tiara covered in poison, which, like, mm. why? I don't really understand how ancient poisons work, but, like, as soon as you pick up a dress, wouldn't you be like, wow, this is, like, soaking in poison? I, I don't exactly know how you poison a dress. Well, maybe you misinterpreted it as one of the secretions. <laughs> You're like, ooh, a dress with secretions, my favorite kind. Yeah, well, I think that's what you're, you're trying to tell me here yeah. is that secretions are sexy. Yeah. I'm They're cross-species. I'm getting nutritional secretions for my gift. I can already tell. So uh, sometimes uh, in a, like there are, of course, the insects and arthropods that will give like these gifts. Usually, like it's not like a, a poison that like uh, kills the female, but it's like... Um, it's something that, like, uh, it could be like a, a spermatophore envelope or something that, that will increase her short-term fitness but actually decrease her long-term fitness. Oh, so it's like cocaine? Exactly like cocaine. Or meth. Or meth, exactly. You, you, that, that's uh, that, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Or not, actually. I just said it doesn't. So I'm getting some, some good ideas for my gift. <laughs> So sometimes males give worthless gifts to females as a deception to improve mating chances while not spending the cost or effort to give a real gift. So this happens in the spider Pissara mirabilis, uh, which is a small brown spider found all over Europe. It doesn't look very interesting, but it has a very interesting behavior. So the males typically wrap up a dead insect for the female, offer it to her as a gift, and while she's busy like unwrapping, they, you know, they get busy with their mating business, and it gives the female more patience uh, for the male to mate, and that increases the success of their mating. Uh, but sometimes some of these males in the species will wrap up just nothing and offer this empty uh, package, this empty wrapped silk package to the female uh, in hopes for the best. And this actually does improve mating chances versus no gift giving. Um, but the female will typically, once she opens it up and she's like, hey, wait a minute, there's nothing in there. That's it. Mating over. Mm, but. It's silk. What else does she want? <laughs> she wants a dead, uh, juicy insect. Oh, I see. It's all about the it's all about the secretions, very, honey. Very demanding. <laughs> well, we are gonna take a quick break while I try to get uh, Brett used to the word secretions, so we can continue the podcast like adults. Um, but when we return, we are going to talk about a very metal romance. Hey guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry though, he's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. 
We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So, Katie, there's another point of view from economists, this one from Greg Mankiw, which suggests that gift-giving is a way of signaling private information to one's partner. So the private information is your love or devotion to your partner. And because gift-giving is costly, you have to go all the time to find an appropriate gift that's very well suited to your partner. And uh, then uh, it's it's a signal to your partner that, oh, he, he really, he or she, or they really does love me. Uh, and, you know, so it's kind of a signal of, of love or devotion. Does that type of signaling also exist in the animal kingdom? I mean, yeah. So it's really interesting because this happens uh, in bird species, especially where you have, when you have parents uh, who like, there are a lot of birds that form these long-term monogamous pairs. They they sometimes form it just over one breeding season, but some form it over an entire lifetime. And the the cost is high if you mate with someone who will just give up and abandon you. Because in a lot of for a lot of birds, sometimes you need both parents to be um, not only like helping uh, guard the nest, uh, but also providing food. Like some some birds, like you'll have one partner sitting on the egg and the other partner has to go out and find food. And you see this from any anything from penguins to toucans. Like this is very common where you, you really have to have this uh, exchange of like this, this male or even both parents uh, has to be really devoted. Otherwise you're screwed because like you've, you've paired off and then if you, you have, you lay your egg and then your partner just goes like, well, whatever, I don't care anymore and goes and hunts for himself and then doesn't like return to you. You're, you could die or your your chicks could die. It, so it's very important to show the devotion, the effort that this, this uh, partner is going to put effort into the relationship and really in, is invested in the relationship. Otherwise, you could be really screwed down the line. Uh, and then also you see this, it's often like where the female has to be choosy, uh, like like the typical kind of thing is like the female has more to lose in these situations than the male. But there are a lot of species where both the male and female have to equally participate in the rearing of offspring. And so in those cases, you actually often see like mating rituals where both the female and male are trying to impress each other because they both are equally invested. They will often have a... It's, this is actually very common in seabirds because what will happen with them is you'll have one parent sitting on the nest and guarding the either the eggs or the chicks and then the other parent off hunting for fish or whatever. And that ha- that one has to come back and they will switch off roles. So like one will hunt one day and find fish and the other day the other one will go off. So then they really both need to be equally impressive. And so they'll have courtship rituals where they're both trying to impress each other. Also in those species, the sexual dimorphism, meaning like one bird looks, like usually female birds look kind of drab and the males are really fancy and pretty. And these species like puffins and other kinds of seabirds, like ox, like they both essentially look the same. It's hard to tell the difference between males and females. But why do you, why do you think this behavior is specific to seabirds? Like, is it is it something about the extremity of the environment? 
that like i mean especially well are, are puffins in the arctic or is this just like it's they're in the tropical? arctic it's yeah a, they're well, in the arctic circle puffins right so so then you know if it's if it's, it's a really extreme environment and so then you really really need uh the investment of both parents to guarantee survival is that is that a reasonable assessment? yeah yeah i think so i mean so you do it's not only seabirds that uh that this happens like there are other birds where they're both uh uh you know um pretty much in, equally invested um i mean in sometimes sometimes it's like sort of um uh like so for instance with toucans what's interesting about that is they live in an environment where there's a lot of snakes, a lot of egg-eating predators. And so you have the female who seals herself up in a basically a hollow of a tree and uses like mud and feces to create like a door. I, I'm sorry, we always have to come back to feces on this podcast and <laughs> secretions of some kind. Um, but then, so she's she's essentially locked herself in a tree, tree hollow. And the male, if he at all wants this uh, this egg to survive, has to provide her constantly with food. Right. Uh, and so even though the female, it seems like the female is risking more because she's like in the hollow of a tree and to a certain extent that's true, um, she can, she could if she wanted to break out and like abandon the egg and then the male's uh, reproduction success would be screwed. Mm-hmm. Or the male, if he just decides, I don't want to be feeding food to this tree anymore, <laughs> like... He, he would screw her chance of reproductive success. So uh, they both have to like essentially be equally invested in the survival of this offspring for this to work. And so they they actually look very similar in terms of their um, there's not a lot of sexual dimorphism. Um, and so like with uh, uh, with seabirds, I would say like puffins with with these ox albatrosses, yeah, like they have to um, leave the nesting area, which uh, like is not usually usually the nesting area is, does not have a lot of food because it's like going to be like on an island or something where you have like these rocky uh, outcroppings, and then the birds leave to go to the ocean to fish, uh, and so you have you you really have to go kind of long distances to get mm-hmm. your food. And uh, I see. So, yeah. but so that is kind of a function of the uh, extremity of the environment. Yes, Because exactly. if it's like the jungle, then the food is like is all around you. Let's say, whereas in in the Arctic, uh, it is probably far away. Right. And then the example that I gave of the toucans in the jungle, the the reason that the environment is extreme is because of the amount of danger uh, to your egg that like mm. snakes and other predators okay. present. And so like the, the, it's not so much that it's super hard to find food, but that the female has to seal herself into this, uh, tree to protect her eggs mm-hmm. from snakes. So yeah, I, I think like the extremity of the environment definitely does play into, um, that kind of like both parents have to basically invest versus say systems where, the male is trying to mate with as many females as possible, and the females are trying to select the best males. Mm-hmm. But uh, so now we are actually going to talk about another bird um, because sometimes romance involves just like a lot of horrifying impaling. So like oh, the <laughs> the great gray shrike is a cute gray and black songbird. Only about as like long as a piece of printer paper. It weighs around two ounces. It's actually pretty cute. It's got like little 
a little like black eye mask, uh, but essentially it just looks like kind of a regular bird. It's not very impressive looking. It's cute. I, I, it, it's a nice looking bird, but you know, normal looking. Um, and it lives throughout Eurasia and North Africa. Um, it has a variety of nicknames. It has Verkenvogel, uh, which means choking bird in a German dialect. There's Negendor, which means killer of nine prey. Uh, in English, uh, they were called like murdering pies, which uh, I think is because it looks like a magpie. And it does like to murder. It's also known as the great butcher bird. So uh, it is a, a bird that kills small prey like grasshoppers or bigger prey like voles, mice, small birds, or even juvenile stoats. And once it's killed them, it impales them on sharp thorns of a tree. Let me show you actually what oh this looks gosh. like. So um, here it is. I think that's like a field mouse or something that it has impaled. Good God. You see what I mean, though? Like this bird does not look so scary. It's right. cute, right? It's yeah, just a little guy. Yeah. Um, and yet it impales. And yet here it is with like a mouse oh fully goodness. impaled on a thorn on a tree. Uh, here it is uh, tearing off chunks of flesh from the thing that it has already impaled. Wow. Um, and here you see the relative size. It's like it, it looks about the size of like a mockingbird or something, maybe even a little smaller. Um, it's really, it, but yeah, they are <laughs> vicious, vicious predators. Oh, here's one where it's just oh. killed a robin. Sometimes oh they gosh. grab birds mid-flight. They like go under them, grab them by the feet, and then kill them. Jeez. Yeah. But, so how do they kill them? Is it by the impaling process or some, some other way? And to, then, yeah. Oh. And, and then impaling is storage? Yeah, so so the latter. So it's uh, they typically kill them by using their sturdy hooked beak to like hit them on the skull, um, and impaling them usually isn't what kills them. Although of course that probably happens sometimes. The job. Uh, yeah, it, it's going to finish the job for sure. But the 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 uh, impaling them is, as you guessed, storage, and it's also like a way to. It's essentially like a kebab. Because it, it, it sticks them somewhere and makes it easier for the shrike to pull off pieces of flesh rather mm -hmm. than having to consume the whole item. Like, because you see, like with a hawk, right? It's big. It kills a, a vole. It can just like eat that whole thing on the mm -hmm. spot. Or an owl. Like, owls will like eat the thing whole, digest it, mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, uh, uh, vomit up like owl pellets that. Mm -hmm. uh, contain the fur and stuff. Mm. So for a smaller bird of prey like the shrike, what's it going to do? It can't eat the the prey that it's capable of killing, like this large prey. So it stores it on these spikes, and then it can tear off small pieces of flesh throughout the day, throughout the week. Um, they've even been known to stick um, certain insects that have toxins in them. And as the insect decomposes, the toxin actually degrades, and they can then eat this insect later that they couldn't eat initially. But so if it's storing a, a piece of uh, a prey for up, up to a week, then isn't that prey getting uh, just tons of bacteria and other bad stuff? So does that mean that the shrike has a really powerful immune system or, or how does that work? I mean, that's a really good question. I don't know exactly. I would say like, um, yes, probably it, uh, 
is capable of digesting a lot of these these bacteria. Um, I I wonder. I think it's a good question because there's probably some mediation of like what it eats more quickly and what it waits to eat, right? Because there's evidence that it does wait to eat, say like a toxic insect that it know like it that when it degrades, it actually makes it safer to eat. Maybe it prioritizes eating things that get more dangerous mm-hmm. that the longer you leave it. Um, and then it will eat, uh, save for later, the ones that are more toxic. This is kind of speculation, right? Like, I don't know exactly, but I would say given that they do seem to take into account timing when eating like poisonous insects, it would also make sense for them to account for timing when it comes to prioritizing like food that would essentially spoil but like mm. a lot of animals will eat carrion right like mm. uh there, there's a lot of food that would make us sick that would make the average like hyena vulture uh you know random animal uh, not sick right they, they might mm. have strong really strong stomach acid that will mm-hmm. kill off this bacteria so I, I would suspect the same thing with this shrike that it is able to handle some bacteria, but it, it does like it, it doesn't leave the food just rotting for like weeks. It, yeah. It'll eat it within a few days, typically. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are also huge romantics. So males will create a very gruesome display for females of uh, just sticking a bunch of uh, dead animals onto the the thorns, and he will actually present her with a gift. So directly give her a dead animal. The bigger, the better, right? Like she is impressed by a large, she's impressed by a large, (laughs) awkward place to stop. She was, she's impressed by a large prey item and he will offer this to her as a gift. Uh, If he's successful, they will um, form a monogamous pair bond for the breeding season, wow. not for life. So a lot of birds do this where they form a pair bond for the breeding season. But once that's over, you're back on the market. Wow. Maybe you'll be with the same partner if you really like were impressed with them, or maybe you go back on the market again. So um, some birds will pair bond for life, but these ones, they basically this, uh, this uh, dead a uh, mouse on a stick strategy only lasts for one <laughs> mating season. Interesting. Yeah. So how how big can this get? The the prey? The, well, yeah, the the prey display. Like how how many like like usually it's like just sort of they it's, have this larder. Multiple, uh, yeah, they prey can items. they can sometimes have a large larder where they have multiple prey items like stuck right. on just like thorns. spelling out I heart you. <laughs> Go to prom with me and dead mice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but usually the 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 uh, the thing that will impress the female is that the male actually offers a single large prey item to her. So like he may have sort of a larder that like attracts her, but then like he will give her like, hey, check out this huge dead vole or like I found a baby stoat and I'm presenting it to you. And that's what will compel her mm-hmm. to to mate with him. And does the female eat the prey that is presented to her? I that's a good question. I think she probably probably sticks it on a thorn and starts eating it. She's not going to eat the whole thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like she can't. So she probably will stick it, kebab it and maybe eat it a little bit, save some of it for later. You know, like how you get a box of chocolates, you don't generally you don't eat the whole thing right in front of your your uh, partner right as soon- I definitely <laughs> do not do that 
I'm impressed at your uh, cookie eating abilities. Like we'll get some cookies and then just like it's an incredible volume that somehow disappears. Somehow. Somehow. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick uh, cookie break. And when we get back, we are going to talk about a best friend to the ladies that's better than diamonds. Hey, guys, I'm home. Everyone knows that it's dad's job to be a bit of a joker. Sorry I'm late, everyone. There was an accident at the factory. Monty fell into the upholstery machine. Don't worry, though. He's fully recovered. <sighs> Good one, Dad. <sighs> Did you get the pizza for dinner? So he likes to keep everyone happy with some dad jokes. Yep, right here. I had a coupon, and it saved me a lot of dough. Well, the truth is, Dad is just a fun guy. Hey, I'm not a mushroom. Please stop. Where does he get these stupid jokes from? He listens to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Oh, great. More dad jokes for me. We've delivered over 15,000 jokes to over 3 million listeners, and man, the postage fees are killing us. Listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So they say that diamonds are a girl's best friend, but uh, the six-spot Burnett moth would disagree. Do you think that's a good segue? (laughs) So the six-spot Burnett moth uh, is a small moth found throughout Europe that is black with these striking bright red spots. uh, See, it's pretty, right? Yeah, that's cool. That's nice looking. Yeah, it's very, it's like, it's a little goth, right? Because it's like red and black. Or is that emo? I don't know. I'm out of I'm out wow. of style. Um, but yeah, it, it's a pretty it's a pretty moth, and it's really brightly colored. It's really striking. Um, but this coloration, this bright red coloration with black as contrast, is actually an example of uh, aposematism, uh, meaning that it warns predators that they are toxic. And this toxic is cyanide. So. Mm. Uh, cyanide is released when the moth is injured to ward off predators. And uh, larvae will get cyanide from their diet of a plant called bird's foot trefoil, which, oh. you know, cool name for a plant. Um, but yeah, maturation into adulthood, so the transformation from a caterpillar into a moth, uh, depletes some of the supply. So in order to ensure the success of his partner and her offspring, males will actually offer females a gift of cyanide. Hmm. So uh, th- this gift, uh, biologists, I think, just speculate that it probably is given through his sperm or sperm packet, which somehow replenishes her cyanide supplies, wow. which allows her greater defense. And also she passes some of this on to her offspring to give them a good sort of start in life. You know, it's like a nest egg, but cyanide. Yeah, cyanide nest egg. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh you know, if you're if you're struggling to come up with a gift um for for your I'm not going to get you cyanide. But you know, it has a, a lovely almondy flavor. No, it's oh uh, don't don't tell the kids this. Don't eat cyanide; uh, it's bad for you, and it does it doesn't taste good like delicious almonds. 
<laughs> it does actually smell like almonds, though. That's what's oh, interesting. Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy. It has like a sort of bitter almondy smell. So if you, mm. if someone like gives you like, like, would you like some tea? And then hands you tea and then they're like really sweaty and your tea kind of smells like almonds. Mm. Maybe don't drink it. Are you saying specifically bitter almonds? Yeah. Well, hang on. I'm okay. So I know I sound like I'm a poison expert, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, but and I have personally never smelled cyanide. Um, yeah. It's like people say it has like a bitter almond mm. smell. Bitter almond. So is, what, what is a bitter almond? Is that kind of like rancid almond? No, I don't Not think it's like rancid. rancid. Mm. Uh, maybe, but I mean, like it's like I think it is as it is described a bitter almond. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but like maybe, yeah, I don't I don't know how an odor is bitter. Like for me, bitter is kind of more of a taste than an odor. Mm. So it's, okay, so like an aroma of bitter almonds or marzipan. You well, like marzipan, yeah. This is dangerous this for is you. Very dangerous for me. Because like I could just slip that right in there. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't even know. Because you like you like almond flavored like cookies and stuff. Yeah. Well, better really think about your gift that you're gonna give me for Valentine's <laughs> Day, huh? Uh, no. So yeah, I mean for for these months, uh, this is uh, the gift of a defensive weapon of cyanide uh, is truly the most romantic thing. I see, but it's like the the male is giving up some of his own defensive weapon, right? R right, exactly. But what he's doing is uh, he may be trading off some of his own defense, but this is more likely to ensure the success of his offspring. And so you do see like parental sacrifice can be made as long as it increases on net your chance of passing on your DNA. Mm. Like if your if your sacrifice in terms of uh, of uh, fitness does not actually improve your lifetime reproductive success, then you won't do it. But if it does, then you'll do it. So like that's why in some animal you might wonder like, well, these animals seem to like abandon their offspring, like or um, do something that seems like selfish and self interested. Uh, and it's like, yeah, they'll absolutely do that as long as that on net improves their lifetime reproductive success. Like if they if they are reproducing a lot throughout their life, they're actually less likely to fully sacrifice for their offspring in any given sort of like mating, right? But if they don't do a lot of repeat reproduction like mm -hmm. this moth, like it's like kind of a one shot sort of deal, then they will, uh, they'll give it their all, right? This moth I think only reproduces once. And so yes, it's, yeah. it's, Shooting its shot, giving everything it's got uh, for its offspring. Which, you know, what's more, what's more romantic than that? Than a big self-sacrificing gesture, and then like essentially just disintegrating later. So <laughs> <laughs> what all the what's all that's what all the uh, uh, rom coms have taught me is like mm -hmm. a guy can be a huge jerk, but as long as they do like one huge. Like they hold a boom box up over their mm -hmm. head and like show you like you're, you've married their best friend, but then they show up to your door with like a huge love letter written on poster board and mm -hmm. stuff. And you got you got to hand it to them, right? You got to be like, oh, that's so sweet. Not call the police. <laughs> All right. Well, before we go, um, we've got to play a little game. Do you like games? I love games. All right. This game is called Eat the Almond Cookie. Oh. <laughs> is it? 
<laughs> but don't eat the danger one. No, this is the mystery animal sound game. So uh, this is the game, guess who's squawking, where you guess who is making this sound. It can be any animal in the world. Um, you gotta guess who is making that sound. So I'm gonna play a sound for you. Hang on. Don't want you. No cheating, even though you're. Okay, the hint is this. These Canadians think you're a hoser. Seal? Nope. Keep going. Is it a is it a water creature? <laughs> no. A fat water creature? We're not. I guess we're paying, playing fifty questions now. No, it's not a water creature. Well, uh, eh, most of the time it's not a water creature. Hmm. Oh my god. <laughs> not a fennec fox? No. I have no idea. Then. It's a moose. Oh. It's a moose. Of course. Moose, moose, moose. Shoot. So, what do you mean sometimes it's a water they're creature? They're good swimmers. They're actually good mm. swimmers. So uh, it is making moose sounds. Uh, these grunts are from a female moose, uh, possibly communicating with her mate, which I think is very sexy mm -hmm. of this female. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing a truck horn. Yes. <laughs> so moose seem goofy, but they are actually uh, relatively dangerous. Have you Have you seen a moose before in person? Um, or was it an elk? I saw saw a giant. Yeah, it, it was in Maine, crossing the road. It could have been a moose. Was that there? Could have been an range? elk too. Uh, yeah, I I think it was a moose. Yeah. But it was enormous. I'm very tall, but it yeah. was significantly taller than me. It's yeah. It's crazy how giant those things are. Yeah. So they're like six feet tall at the shoulders, but then when you include their antlers and their head, they are significantly taller than right. six feet. Uh, and you're you're quite tall, but yeah, if a moose with a, a bull moose, like a male moose with all its antlers, I think would would beat you. Uh, they also can weigh mm, over. Unless <laughs> I slowly ate bits of cyanide until I mm. built up my cyanide, mm. and then I guess that would mean the moose would have to eat me. So this is a poorly thought out defense mechanism, right? Um, well, you know, I mean, a moose. Uh, would uh maybe not want to eat you after a few bites of like bitter almond flavor mm, right. um <laughs> but yeah just you see this is why i've been eating the almonds right almond cookies all the time Ooh, maybe if you eat enough almonds like you just smell like you mm, have cyanide in you them, like yeah. you don't actually have cyanide but you smell enough Almondy flavor that you you might seem like you're cyanide. I moose don't you moose don't eat people. Moose don't eat people. <laughs> <laughs> so um, a male moose can weigh over uh, 1,600 pounds, which is 725 kilograms. Um, and but yeah, despite being so huge and bulky, they can actually swim. Um, on very rare occasion, this is not typical. They can actually be preyed upon by orcas. So there's kind of a myth that orcas like routinely prey upon moose. They can. Like it has been seen to happen where an orca eats a moose, but it's not typical. Otherwise, the only threat that moose face are from humans, bears, and wolves. But yeah, they are pretty, pretty big and they don't have too much to worry about. 
Um, and so, you know, they uh, will, uh, they'll, they'll uh, you know, make those really attractive noises when communicating with a mate. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess they have to be loud, right? Because mm-hmm. they're pretty spread apart. Yeah. No, it's true. Like to communicate over long distances, but also just, you know, who doesn't love a moosey grunt? Mm. I mean, don't they communicate like through the, the Wi-Fi enabled antlers? <laughs> Uh, On to this week's mystery animal sound. The hint is this. This monk is ignoring his vows of celibacy and is on the market for hanky-panky. Oh, right. It's the, the animal noise that was used to signal that you're connecting to the internet <laughs> when we had dial-up. It's dial-up, uh, which was only used by virgins, which is why I was saying vows of celibacy. Uh, uh, yeah, so your guess is that it's dial-up internet. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's go with that. <laughs> all right, well, if you think you know the answer out there, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also write to me your questions, your pet pictures, you know, general comments, uh, whatever. Uh, Brett, honey, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me on. You can now go back downstairs. <laughs> no, get out, get out. <laughs> um, and thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show, if you leave a rating or review, I deeply, deeply appreciate it. I read all of the, the reviews, uh, all of them, yeah, every single one. And thank you to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exolumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or guess what? Or you listen to your favorite shows. I don't care. I don't judge you. Not your mother. You do what you want. You live your own life. I'll see you next Wednesday. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side.